This is probably going to place my age, but growing up with no video games in the house, our Macintosh LC2 with Red Baron and Sim Farm as the only computer games we had, and not a single computer in the classroom, my time was spent doing a lot of playing. Whether it was pretending I was a Ninja Turtle with my friends fighting in the yard, pretending I was a pirate on the playground while getting wood splinters everywhere, or my youth soccer league where, over the course of five years, I scored a total of zero goals. Playing outside or inside in this way made me a more creative and imaginative person, all while staying active. Fast forward to today and I'm doing zero of those things, especially still not scoring soccer goals. Technology is now at the center of mine and everyone's lives. Whether we want it or not, we encounter technology at every touchpoint in our day-to-day. Truly, just think about all the ways you encounter, use, or even have it be the center of your conversations. But the ongoing question that is asked, especially with parents and teachers, is at what age is it appropriate to incorporate technology into children's lives and especially the classroom? Should it start at kindergarten because they are already experiencing it at home? Or should the K-5 experience especially be focused on tactile play, imagination, and environmental creativity? I reached out to two educators with opposing opinions on this topic to get some more clarity. For the power of online learning is Maria Bradley. It's really important, I think, for a couple of reasons. Well, one, I just want to go and say I don't think technology replaces everything. Um, I still see when I walk down the hallways and I see kindergarten um, flowers hanging on the wall with mom spelled wrong or a word speller. I get that. I had kids too. And you want to save those things. So I understand that not everything should be done on a device um, and not everything um, has to be done on a computer. I'm not advocating for that at all. However, I think what I saw in the beginnings of technology going to the classroom, number one, it levels the playing field. So if I'm a student who either, I am an ENL student, so English is not my first language. I, those are usually the ones that, you know what, let's give them, that's what we saw, let's give them an iPod. In the beginning it was an iPod, then it moved over to an iPad so that we're able to give them stuff in digital format and it's easily translated to them so that they can catch up to everyone else. Technology sort of brings me to the classroom and I'm not less than, I'm equal to my peers in the classroom. Uh, so they're going to be reading it from a textbook. I'm going to have it on my device, but I'm reading the same thing and I don't need to be brought out to a separate classroom. I can be in a general education classroom. So I think technology plays a big part in inclusion in the classroom. What you find is that that benefits everyone. Maria came from the B2B sector back in the dot-com boom and even interviewed a small online book company at the time called Amazon. She took her passion and involvement in the technology sector and brought it into the K-12 sector, providing students and teachers the tools and skills necessary to use technology to improve and make their classroom more interactive and engaging. Uh, I wanted to just take technology and see how I can use it in the education space because that's where my head was at. So I was watching, you know, I have my own children now and I wanted to look for something to apply my background in technology um, in the ex- in the education space because like that's where my head was at. So it was kind of like a natural sort of thing, but that's where that stemmed from. I asked Maria for some innovative ways we can use technology in the classroom as tools 
and how to build engaging curriculum around not just software, but platforms. Like trying to wrap my head around, like, how are they going to use Twitter in the classroom? And now when you think of it today, where everything's a hashtag and everyone's posting, but back then it was like, how are we going to do it? And, you know, what I came up with, you know, just doing research, I'm like, let's do tweets in a history class. If, you know, if we're the Redcoats and we have, you know, um, what are we doing as we're marching into the States? And if I'm George Washington, what am I saying to my troops in a tweet? Um, and then... Even today, as we use Twitter in the classroom, you know, one of the things, again, it's so, it's everywhere now, but back then when you're trying to think of it, you know, I would point out to teachers, you know, back then a tweet was, I think, 144 characters when it first came out. So I would use it in an English classroom saying, why don't you use this to summarize this chapter? Because you have to be on point. So in a tweet, it's a really good exercise because there isn't, room for likes or this or that. You have to be on point to get 140 characters to make your point. So taking that technology and say, just you don't even have to use the technology, but apply that, that piece of it, which kids are starting to use today and let them be their answer. Like 144 characters, tell me what you know about this. I asked Maria if she thinks we are becoming too dependent on technology to learn, or is it just simply a tool? I think it's a tool. Like one of the things I say when I'm training, you know, my team is getting to your assignment and shouldn't be hard for the kids. The assignment should be the actual content. Like, so when you're doing an assignment, you want to pick something that lends itself to it. So in higher math classes, maybe doing it on a Google Doc is not great because there's not a math editor on there. With tools like Hammy, we could address that now, but in the day, like, so that's not going to work. But if I'm an English teacher and they're writing an essay, how great is it when they share their Google Doc, their first draft, and I could put some feedback comments, they can go back and check it, put that feedback, revise it, and then even look at their version history, see the evolution of that document. So pick what lends itself to it. It's not to replace everything, but you want to think of like, I have these tools, especially if you're a district where they invested in technology, because that's taxpayer dollars. So you want to show that you're using it. So what tools are we going to use that make sense for this? Where are we going with the intersection of technology and education in and out of the classroom? I think the future is it is in the classroom. I think what we learned during this pandemic is that, you know, I said it levels the playing field in the classroom. I think we saw that it wasn't always leveled outside the classroom. So where people didn't have Wi-Fi, you know, where I am, they provided them with the Wi-Fi so they can do that. So there needs to be, you know, some sort of infrastructure where there's Wi-Fi available to them. In some cases, this device was their only device. So you were giving... Um, you know, children who didn't have access to device because maybe that wasn't the most important thing their family needed at that time. Maybe they needed, you know, to, they had bills, they had food. So getting an iPad isn't on the list of things they needed. Now you gave them an iPad. So now they're not feeling left out because they don't have it. They're able to use an iPad too. For the power of offline learning, we have Josh Olins. I asked Josh what a typical day for an elementary school teacher is like. In teaching, you you don't do that. You get what walks in the door, and 
And a lot of times it takes a little while to, to see where your kids are at. And some kids come in, you know, fired up and ready to go and, you know, in great terms and others are, uh, you know, need to really sort of draw things out. So the first part of the day is really just seeing how everybody is. So you have to take it slow and have lots of breaks. Um, you know, the day is is easily punctuated by things like snacks and recesses and, and um movement to lunch and and uh but but of course within each block you've gotta you gotta have uh eyes out on when your your audience is starting to melt away so when you see that you gotta be ready to to shift things pretty quickly i like to think that i you know after 25 years i would be able to plan out a couple few weeks but even when you do that you just have to totally change you know modify what you thought you were going to do a first grade teacher at Falmouth Elementary School in Falmouth, Maine, Josh, or Mr. Olins, according to his students, is all about play and especially the lack of screens in the classroom. Just how important is play for kids? Oh, huge, hugely. I mean, at least twofold. I mean, one, one is just the the skills that you acquire in playing, you know, learning how things fit together and, and, and building and, and creating and that sort of artistic play, but also in getting along with your peers. And that is just massive, especially just looking at our society right now. How important is it that kids can have a fight over, over a block or how something's going to be built and resolve it and, you know, talk it out and come to a reasonable conclusion now, this, these things are so important that, that we need to be teaching them from, and we do teach them from, from day one. Play, without a doubt, is the most important part of a child's life. I mean, I've got them for, for six, seven hours every day, but uh, hopefully in a healthy household and a healthy society, the kids get to go home and, and, and play. When you were pursuing your degree to become an educator, what were some of the things that really stood out to you that have become the foundation for your teaching now? Um, you know, we did a lot of writing and we did a lot of, you know, reading and talking about literature and literacy acquisition and, and um, but also play. And we're in these spaces which are, which are highly designed for, you know, tons of amazing block areas and real workbenches and construction. It's very, very old school. And I, I carry that on today. Do you feel that moving forward, schools are going to lean into technology as it becomes more and more prevalent in our society? Or do you think that the importance that we talked about of play and that tactile experience will still be at the center? Yeah, this is a really great question, really tricky question, because we are forever changed. There's no doubt about it. We cannot just say, okay, as you were, back to play without computers. We are forever changed. And, and, um, and I'm sure that we will uh, lean on some of the technology that we've we've utilized. You know, I don't I don't think that it needs to be in the classroom very much. I, I think that within the four walls, there's not a lot of need for for technology. Um, <clears throat> and certainly at the younger ages, I, I I would love to see less and less of it. But you know, no denying it's it's there to stay. Uh, I wouldn't want to do virtual programming again, but if I can do it <laughs> and I made, you know, we had fun. It was, re you know, it was a great year. I made it a great year because I knew we had to, but I wouldn't, you know, want this to be 
how teaching is done from here on out. I do think that, so I do a couple things. One is I think that um, there is a place for virtual school, virtual teaching, uh, kids that may have health issues or other family issues that for some reason can't make it into the building. Um, you know, I think we're going to get better at, at meeting the needs of every student. And the other is, um, you know, in the, in the uh, upper grades, it's, it is a great resource. It, you know, there are a lot of fancy tools and, and face it, our society is built on it. So we do have to learn. So I'd love to just talk about some of your favorite lesson plans and your approach to meeting students where they're at. So one that has, has been really, really effective during the COVID time is, is uh, letter writing and mail. Now, I've done, I've done letter writing and mail forever. I always have. I, I, I think it's really fun. But because communication has been so strained um, during COVID, it had carried this like extra urgency to, you know, to communicate with grandma and grandpa or people far, friends far, even your best friend that you, that just lives down the road and you can't go play with. And so those, those, you know, to call it a lesson plan, it's really like six weeks of programming that I've designed, you know, where you start out small and you think about who you're going to write to and what sorts of messages. And you, you know, eventually you shift over to actually creating letters and writing addresses, but, but you get to really lean on, um, you know, up until this point, kindergartners, first graders, their primary audience has been themselves and their peers and maybe their teachers. And suddenly, if you're writing for grandma or grandpa or, or aunt or uncle or cousins, they can't read first grader messy invented spelling writing. So there's suddenly a new reason to up your game a little bit. So it's been that's been really fun and effective. So reflecting back on our conversation of online play and offline play, I'd love for both of you to share what you would pass on to the next generation of renegades and mavericks that want to go on to be educators. How would you want them to discover the importance of play and technology both in and out of the classroom? Well, number one, you got to love it because there are going to be days that if you don't love it, you're going to leave. I've made it 25 years, so that I've beat the odds, I suppose, because I, I really do enjoy it. I, I'd so much rather hang out with the little kids than, uh, I guess I'm drawn, you know, I, I, than, than hanging out in an office. Uh, that just that sounds like a nightmare to me. You know, the other thing that I would say is you're going to be handed a lot of prepackaged curricula material. You know, you're going to get, when you get your first job, most likely someone's going to say, here's what you teach in math, here's what you teach in reading, here's your writing, and you know, you need 45 minutes of this and 60 minutes of that, and, and this is your day, and plug it all in. And, um, and that is just a dead end. I mean, because what'll happen is three years later, you're going to get the next package and then two years later you'll get the next package and you know these things go in cycles and it's it's exhausting to try and continually go to professional development and learn the newest reading and writing program so i think that um you have to find some things and make them yours um, some of my best you asked me what my for a couple of uh of the curricula that I've been teaching, a couple of the programs that I've been teaching for a while that I enjoy. And, um, you know, I've been doing those forever. 
and they don't fit in everyday math curriculum. They don't fit in teachers' college. These are very well-known programs. They don't fit in, you know, writer's workshop or reader's workshop or any of that stuff. But I, I, make, the, I make it work, and, I, um, and because I enjoy those things, the kids see the enjoyment in it too. It's not, okay, everybody, open up your workbook, turn to page 124. You know, I mean, I have to do some of that stuff, but I also get to be myself and teach things that I really do love and care about. Let's let's use these tools to say, okay, let's use our class time together smarter. Let's be more efficient like we are in everything else we're doing in our lives. Let's be more efficient in the classroom and not spend the time um, looking at, you know, stuff we already know. We can move on. We can be critical thinkers. We can learn together. I think technology brings engagement to it. Again, not the whole day, but I do, it does bring a level of engagement with the students and what they're learning and they get excited about it. We'd love to hear your feedback. What are your thoughts about technology in the classroom from kindergarten to fifth grade? You can comment your thoughts on this episode's post on Instagram. You can follow us at Renegades and Mavericks. Discover Maria's program and app recommendations, plus Josh's innovative play-based lesson plans at our website, renegadesandmavericks.com. And now it's time to thank a teacher. I'd like to thank my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Jack, Stephen Jack, I should say. Uh, Mr. Jack, you lit my passion for history. You made learning so fun and so inspiring and and I'll and I'll never forget it. And I and I truly appreciate your care and passion for your students and it had a lifelong impact on me. So, thank you so much. So grateful for you and and all your talents. I just want to say thank you, Ms. Siafas. Um, you showed me the importance of reading between the lines of history, and uh, I always look forward to your class. Also, I had a big crush on you, um, but you probably knew that. To submit your thank you to a teacher to be featured on an episode of Renegades and Mavericks, you can email your audio recording to us at content at com. Renegades and Mavericks is a production of Dirigo Collective. Hosting and script by Kevin Oates and project management by Claire Clausen.